0: The first thing after that introduction that I need to say is that I can comment with confidence that I am not a rock star. (laughs) What I want to talk about, nevertheless, is a rock. Isn't that remarkable? I want to talk about Ebenezer. Ebenezer is up there, created by AI, I'm assured. Not by human hand, but displaying human hands. And the theme this morning, is indeed ebenezer thus far the lord has helped us thus far the lord has held, helped us At an anniversary we should remember a year ago you'll recall there was the platinum jubilee of queen elizabeth ii a celebration of her 70 years uh, years of service to the country and on that occasion we remembered not knowing how soon we'd be looking back on the period of her reign, on her death. Anniversaries, though, like that, are for remembering. So what, as a church, should we remember? The passage from the New Testament that was read earlier, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, points out three times the need to remember. For Peter, it was to remember Jesus Christ, his greatness, his achievement, the transfiguration that Peter witnessed, and the effect that that can have on our lives in transformation. But what in particular should we be remembering in our church this year? I think the passage from the Old Testament that was read earlier from 1 Samuel chapter seven suggests some priorities. So I want to go through 1 Samuel chapter seven with you in what I have to say. Firstly, be single-minded, verses two to four. Israel had passed through bad times. Its inveterate enemies, the Philistines, were in the ascendancy. There'd been two defeats in quick succession. They're described in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses two and 10. And the second battle was a total disaster. Israel lost its ark, The symbol of God's presence with his people. The ark had been returned to Israel, but it was put in a private house, chapter 7, verse 1. It was not the center of Israel's worship as it was meant to be. So, as verse 2 of chapter 7 points out, Israel mourned and sought the Lord. What were they to do? The answer is that they were to be single minded. According to Samuel, they were to put away their foreign gods, the Baals and the Ashtoreths, verse 4. That is the male and the female deities worshipped by the surrounding nations. And then they were to worship God alone. They were to serve the Lord only, says this passage. And what does that mean for us? We are to commit ourselves to the Lord, verse 3 let's never forget the personal priority that this has for each of us each of us has to commit ourselves to the lord and serve him only we do need to ensure that we have personal trust in jesus christ can we all say that we're not just churchgoers but also committed christians as committed as our three friends who just spoke to us but as a church too Are we single-minded? At the start of this church in 1805, when we were called Scotch Baptists, Scotch was not then limited to a drink. It was a separate denominational label. We had distinctive principles. A couple of them were these. Plural eldership. We were not just having one minister, but at least two. Why? Because in the New Testament, the word elders, that is the equivalent of pastors, always was in the plural there was no instance except when one individual elder was addressed by john there's no other instance where elder is in the singular and that is because elders operated together in the plural as a team sterling baptist church had a team ministry from its start and again another principle was weekly communion not infrequent communion, but every Sunday. Why? Because of Acts chapter 20, verse 7, in which Paul and his companions came to be- together to break bread on the first day of the week. Therefore, the church had communion every Sunday. Indeed, when we occupied the building on the other side of the road, now demolished and where people eat McDonald's greedily, on that site, that building belonged to us, But the legal document said that if we failed to observe the Lord's Supper on any given Sunday, the building was ipso facto forfeit. The building was taken away from us. And if we didn't have communion every Sunday, it was really important. Now, Covid prevented weekly communion like so much else. but We are moving back towards weekly communion. We had it this morning in our prayer meeting. But do you see what those symbolize is that the church from its start wanted to be single-minded in doing whatever God directed it to do, even if it was out of line with what other people did. It was single-minded in obeying the Lord and that's what the church should remain. We are to be a single-minded people. Secondly we're to make confession, verses 5 and 6. The second thing to remember is that we're to confess our sins. Israel is described as gathering at Mizpah, that's about five miles north of Jerusalem. And there, there was a ceremony to mark their repentance of their sins. They poured out water before the Lord. That's a libation, a public symbol of the washing away of guilt, associated with the fasting and the confessing of sin. So for us, what are we to regret? As Israel regretted things. Are we to regret bad habits, hasty words, failures? We should confess those things to the Lord a daily discipline. Perhaps neglect of fellow Christians. Perhaps we haven't shown care for everybody we should have done that to. Or perhaps we've engaged in undue criticism. Of course it's right to disagree with policies in the church in love but it's wrong to grumble. Think of how Israel suffered from the grumbling against Moses in the desert. A critical spirit is not called for. But this principle of making confession should affect our worship too. Every service should include our personal engagement by confessing and turning away from our sins. And that's especially true of communion. We turn from our wrongs there in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for each of us. So, the essential element in worship alongside others is what the Israelites did at Mizpah. They made confession. We are to be a confessing people. Thirdly, they made intercession. Verses 7 to 9. The people at Mizpah were in danger. The Philistines thought that Israel was mobilizing for a campaign against them, and so they decided on a preemptive strike. They would attack Israel. The people of Israel therefore were very fearful, as they might well be, and therefore they requested Samuel to carry on pleading with the Lord on their behalf. He made a whole burnt offering, that is, a sign of wholehearted dedication to the Lord and the people requested intercession to hit by him now that sort of request for intercession is not restricted to the old testament it's there in the new as well think of one thessalonians chapter five verse 25 brothers and sisters pray for us paul asks for prayers even the great and eminent paul asks for prayers we surely need to heed that call And to do the same, we need to pray for others, other churches in the town, other Baptists in Scotland, other Christians throughout the world. But specifically here, do you notice the people actually asked for prayer from Samuel for themselves? Do we ask friends at church to pray for our needs? If we have an operation or a family crisis, or dealings with the authorities that go wrong. We should feel able to ask for prayer support. There are prayer networks amongst us, perhaps, especially in house groups. Are we prepared to ask for that sort of support in prayer? Life groups that we talked about at our gathering yesterday may develop this ministry further, but prayer for one another can be crucial. I recall that James Taylor, our former minister, used to say that it was a huge help for him to know that some church members prayed for him every day. Surely there's something to imitate there. We are to be an interceding people. Fourthly, we are to be expectant. Verses 10 and 11. The Philistines came up to the attack, seizing the opportunity during the sacrifice. They seem to have the great advantage. Would there be another Israelite disaster? But the Lord thundered, say these verses, a thunderstorm threw the Philistines into a panic. The Israelites only had to chase them away. It was a mere mopping up operation, verse 11, because God won the victory. They didn't actually have to do anything themselves. God won that victory, and we need to remember that God wins victories for churches in our day. The church is Christ's. He is the head of the church, and his promise is that the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. So any success that the church achieves is really the Lord's. We are to act in Christian service, of course, but the achievement is his. William Carey, preached a deathless sermon at Nottingham in early 1792 that led to the formation of the Baptist Missionary Society later that year. The start of the whole modern missionary movement. In that sermon on Isaiah chapter 54 verses one and two, he enlarged, he he developed the theme of enlarging the place of your tent. That's what Christians in Britain were to do in the 1790s, he urged. And the theme, the title of his sermon was Attempt Great Things, Expect Great Things. Yes, we engage in ministry with dedication. We attempt great things. But we're to expect great things from the Almighty. Carey went to India. Were his hopes fulfilled? It took seven years before there was the first Indian convert. (laughs) He could have despaired and given up, but he waited for God to work and he did. His expectations were placed at a great God and India now has more Baptist church members than any country on earth except the United States. The United States is of course an exception. If our expectations are similarly placed in a great God, they will be fulfilled through his victory. We are to be an expectant people. Fifthly, we are to be remembering too, verse 12. Samuel erected a stone as a memorial of his victory. You'll see that up there. You also see it down here in this marvelous display that's been created for us. There is a stone to symbolize what Samuel erected. Such stones are important. At the coronation last month, The Stone of Scone on which medieval kings of Scots were installed was taken down to Westminster. It's thought to be so important. And again, that stone is to be taken from its place of storage to the ceremony to mark the new reign in Scotland at the start of next month. It is a powerful symbol. We use such monuments in our own day. War memorials are probably the most familiar. We shall remember them, we say, because it's important to express our appreciation for the sacrifice of the fallen. So it's not surprising that Samuel erected a stone. He called it Ebenezer. Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now that word is very little used in our day. Ebenezer Scrooge is probably the most familiar way in which the word is used, and not an attractive character, as you probably recall, a tight-fisted miser from Dickens' Christmas Carol. But that word Ebenezer does occur as well in one of our familiar hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, by Robert Robinson. It has the phrase, Here I raise my Ebenezer. And that's translated for us very helpfully in the next line, hither by thy grace I'm come. Now, that word is worth pondering. Our church has been helped hitherto. We have a monument of sorts downstairs on the corridor on that side of the building. It's a series of ministers' portraits on that middle floor, and they remind us of able servants of God who've been at the disposal of this church over the centuries that is a monument to what god has done through them and i think it's very much worthwhile recalling that paul again when addressing king agrippa acts chapter 26 verse 22 said i have had god's help to this very day and what did that mean for paul it meant he was able to stand and testify before the king and all the people remembering in God's help in the past for Paul gave him confidence for the future and that clearly is what Samuel was about too. putting up this sign of God's help God's victory was to encourage people to be confident that God's help would continue in future days we are to be a remembering people and sixthly we're to be safe Verses 13 and 14. There are three subsequent developments sketched very briefly here, the results of the victory at Mizpah. One, there were no more Philistine invasions, verse 13. No repetition of the the raid on Mizpah. Two, the towns that the Philistines had seized were restored to Israel, verse 14. Recaptured territory, very much what Ukraine is trying to achieve at this very hour. And thirdly, Peace with the Amorites, verse 14. These original inhabitants of the land were really pleased that Israel had defeated the Philistines because they too suffered raids from the Philistines. So for Israel to put them down was good. They had common interest with Israel, therefore there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So do you see, through those arrangements, the external affairs of Israel were settled. The people were at peace security was achieved. For us, many in the congregation need, quite acutely sometimes, need a sense of security that the church can bring. In the fellowship of believers, we have the support of the like-minded, protection against the buffets of the world, Do we ensure that the church is indeed such a place of security? Like the cities of refuge in the Old Testament. The haven is designed to provide that at the top of the town, where our ministry continues in providing safety and security. But it needs to be a pattern of church life generally. Many, especially perhaps the elderly, especially perhaps the ill, need to know that they're cared for. Rosie McFarlane takes pains to ensure that people do know that they're cared for, and to care for them. Do we ensure that she knows about people in need? People do need support, and the church needs to give it, to give safety and security, spiritual as well as physical. We are to be a safe people. Seventhly, we're to be distinctive, verses 16 and 17. Just as affairs were settled on the outside of Israel, so they were settled inside. Samuel, it says, was judge for life. The leadership was a firmly constitutional arrangement. Samuel traveled round to administer justice. He ensured that all the people had access to his decisions. But he was based at Ramah, where he built an altar to the Lord. Worship was central to national life. So Israel had God's leader, God's standards, and God's worship all in place. Internal affairs were in order. Now that's a great contrast with what follows as described in the next chapter. According to chapter 8, the people demanded a king. Why? Because they wanted to be like other nations, verse 5. They were dissatisfied with God's provision of leader, standards and worship. They wanted to be like other people. God's will was what happened under Samuel. They wanted some something new, a monarchy. It was rather nice to have a king to lead them to war. But God wanted his people to be different. The New Testament says something very similar. It says, Titus chapter two, verse 10, that Christians are to be a peculiar people. I love that phrase, a peculiar people. We know what it means. It doesn't mean that we sprout horns or anything of that kind. It means that we're special, an object of divine love, and therefore distinctive. Do you know that until very recently, there was a whole Christian denomination in Essex which called itself the Peculiar People. Uh, They changed their name fairly recently. But do you see the point of that? The church should not be afraid to be different. We're not to copy other churches. We're not to copy society at large. We're to prepared to be distinctive. So Stirling Baptist Church was in 1805. When every parish had a single minister, the Baptists of this church insisted on a team of elders. When Communion was held only every quarter, they arranged for it weekly. In our day, the church may need to be led to be different in fresh ways. But certainly what we are called to be is a distinctive people. And so from this episode surrounding the stone of Ebenezer, we can identify certain things to remember. Firstly, we're to be a single-minded people, to commit ourselves wholly to the Lord. Secondly, we're to be a confessing people, willing to turn publicly from our sins. Thirdly, we're to be an interceding people, praying for our fellow believers. Fourthly, we're to be an expectant people, putting our trust in God. Fifthly, we're to be a remembering people, recalling God's work through this church in the past. Sixthly, we're to be a safe people, providing a secure place for those who need care. And seventhly, to be a distinctive people, we are prepared to be different. If we do these things, we shall raise our own Ebenezer, for we shall find that thus far, The Lord has helped us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the whole history of Israel, the history of your church throughout the centuries. We thank you that the constant theme of those who trusted in the Lord God was that up to now, the Lord had helped them. We thank you that that is our experience too, but we pray that you will give us your grace so to understand your will for us, that in future days too, we serve you as you would wish, that we develop along your lines, and that in trusting you, we enjoy the victory in Christ, so that there are fresh things to remember in future years. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.